supposed to go yeah yeah i accidentally glitched straight to us instead of to the intro song but it was pretty smooth other than that okay good <laughs> oh look we got the flowers to make our co-hosts modest, modest. yeah that's right yeah. Here, let's center those yeah get them center, right center. The... there we go <laughs> that good? Yeah, get it out we've never named there. her you know no uh so if you're tuning in today to today's show you want to name our co-hostess yes Go ahead, drop a name. Drop a name. So, uh, as you can both tell, we have rather inglorious head congestion going on oh in the Sevier household. Yeah. It's been quite a month. Um, unfortunately, we were still able to smell each other's farts the whole time. So, yeah. it's just your that's typical the, winter sickness. That's the home test, they say. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Actually, but, Free. That's, but that's the thing, is they're saying that um, according to uh, recent data... Mm. The Omicron does allow you to smell farts. So what you're saying is this coronavirus is doing what every other coronavirus does, and it's folding itself into the winter cold and flu season. That's it. So we have either the Omicron or any other coronavirus that we might have had in any other time. Any I'm other sure. time of yeah. our lives. Yeah. yeah. Not, not sure. We're not sure, uh, but... I didn't get tested. I, I didn't get tested. Well, I got tested when I was sick uh, over Thanksgiving. Yeah. And I negative. I had a negative test. But, you know, we all know, I should say, many of us know that there are issues with the testing. Oh, yeah. By the way, uh, they've canceled the PCR test as a thing. The CDC? Yeah. Has officially said nope. They said maybe we should try to find a test that can delineate between the flu other coronaviruses and COVID-19. They just said this like last month. It's so funny because I was saying that. Two years um, ago. Two years ago. <laughs> not two years ago. Close to, close to. Uh, in summer 2020. Yeah. When I took the time to read all of the lab material provided for physicians and lab technicians <sighs> on the CDC website in which it said if you get a positive back for influenza, send it in stat in big red letters. But they didn't say that about if you get a positive back for SARS-CoV-2. In fact, they said these tests cannot delineate between a positive from influenza A or B or SARS-CoV-2. Huh. What do you think the implications of that might be? That a bunch of people think that they're sick with a particular kind of sickness when, in fact, they're just sick with a normal kind of sickness. Or it could be. I mean, this is the problem. Yeah, that's the right? problem is that we don't know. They've been calling every positive PCR test a COVID-19 positive case. 
when uh, the CDC has always said mm -hmm. that these tests cannot tell you the difference between, remember they said the flu took a year off? Yeah, funny, funny part. How does that, like, this is, um, this is part of the cognitive dissonance that we're all having to negotiate so right we're, now we're jumping right in. The flu took a year off. Right. Which is fine. Like flu deaths, there weren't any. Yeah, just suddenly no flu deaths or flu illness, just COVID illness suddenly. Now, that's one of those things. That should be one of those little ding. No, there's an answer for everything. Okay, tell I me the answer. I recognize Because everybody wore a mask? Yes, because they everybody get the flu. wore masks and washed their hands. Thankfully, we practically eradicated the flu, but COVID-19, I mean SARS-CoV-2, SARS-CoV-2 is such a virulent and dangerous virus that it actually um, evaded even people's well-intentioned efforts to shut it down. But the flu was no match for hand-washing and masking. Uh, this is so dumb, I want to punch things. So, welcome to Post-Orthodoxy. Oh, yeah. Um, welcome to Post-Orthodoxy. This is season three. This is season three. Uh, I'm Ainsley Sevier. I'm I, Dark Sevier. I'm wearing the dress that I rented from Rent the Runway for New Year's Eve because I'm about to mail it back in, so I figure I might as well get one more. Yeah, we're not sponsored by them, by the way. No, we're not sponsored by anybody. But if you know someone who might like to sponsor our content yeah. so that we can spend more time with you guys and less time researching and doing pre-production oh and post-production, please send them our way. Yeah, welcome to season three. We did our last show just before Christmas. Is that right? Yeah, the December 19th. We took a few weeks off. Yeah, the last show, um, I expressed my fatigue with the dumbness of the coronavirus <laughs> narrative and the what i what i brought it down to is that what's happening right now if you peel back the layer of our current societal story if you peel back covid-19 mm. and you just take that layer off right and look at what's happening in society there's a bunch of people getting really really rich and yeah. there's a bunch of people getting butt fucked. That's true. And it seems to be the same people getting really, really rich and the same people getting screwed before coronavirus. Just more and worse and faster and huh. harder. So it feels like if we remove the coronavirus narrative, it seems like business as usual only amplified. So that was my frustration is like, this doesn't have anything to do with public health. Uh, uh, dumb things like the flu took a year off, those kinds of things that people just go, well, okay, I guess that's what happens. That kind of stuff is so crazy-making to me right? as a person who likes critical thinking. Well, as a person who's who's been put in a position in the past to have to check your perception of reality, Ugh. you're used to it. You understand yeah. Yeah. that at some point in your life, you might come up against something that's like, huh, maybe the way that I thought things were isn't the way that things actually totally are all the time everywhere for everyone. So you're used to, you have, you have already done some mental gymnastics on that ability what that, we, a, that yeah. a lot of other people have not. Uh, we like to call it uh, enhanced natural immunity to bullshit. Trademark. Um, so after I made that statement on our last show, I came across an article from this cat um, on a, a webpage uh, called The Philosophical Salon. Ooh. 
Is that like the new Intellectual Explorers Club? And then underneath that, it says the Los Angeles Review of Books channel. What happened to the Intellectual Explorers Club? I don't know. But this guy named uh, Fabio, or Fabio, Fabio Vigi, V-I-G-H-I, he wrote an article called the self-fulfilling prop a self-fulfilling prophecy a systemic collapse and pandemic simulation this article sort of put together everything that i've been putting together for the last two years in terms of like something is not right about the storyline mm-hmm. this is not about public health this is not about keeping people safe there's something else going on this guy seems to have um he's coming from a financial economic perspective um, you mean he doesn't care about grandmas? He only cares about money? That's right. He only cares about money. So he has a number of uh, articles on the Philosophical Salon page of the Los Angeles Review of Books uh, pay, uh, web portal. Mm-hmm. And I contacted him and said, hey, do you want to be a guest on our show? And he said, sure. So he's going to come on and try to break it down further for me, and hopefully you can get something out of it as well. That's going to be next Sunday, um, and we're going to be having guests all season long. We had a rash of guests in the first half of season two where we were focusing a lot on becoming more trauma-informed and kind of taking a step back and evaluating why did a bunch of our friends and loved ones slander us and kick us out of town, quote-unquote, when we were just trying to figure out what the truth was and help people suffer less. Oh, I have an answer for that. Yeah. We're just going to jump into some of the topics that I wanted to talk about today then. Some of you may have heard that there's this cat named Robert Malone who's been credited. He is credited as the inventor of mRNA technology. And then other people say, no, he's not. (laughs) Um, The guy is a virologist. He's an actual virologist that they are calling an anti-vaxxer. Multiple degrees from multiple universities. He's He's helped raise trillions of dollars in f- government funding to research viruses and vaccines. Yeah, he's worked closely the with last... the FDA, the CDC. Yeah. Um, anyway, so if suddenly... You listen, it takes like yeah. 10 minutes for this guy to give you the bullet points of all of the government and global organizations and health organizations that he's worked with, specifically in the field of ve- virology and vaccines. This is one of those things where they say, just listen to the scientist. Oh, not that scientist. Not that scientist. Only the approved scientist. And I'm not sure who's approving the scientist, except for, you know... The usual cabal. Well, it's like we were talking about. It's um, the only people that you can listen to are the people who are saying what the story, what the what the um, the official story is. The we, narrative. We learned. Yeah. We learned recently um, there was an a, the Trusted Information Act. Uh, trusted news. I thought it was. TIA, Trusted Information. Trusted News Initiative. Trusted News, TNA, Trusted News Initiative came out a couple of years ago. TNI. That specifically. Um, it was a BBC rolled it out. Yeah, BBC in conjunction with other global news and health organizations were like, look, we need people to know how to spot misinformation. And this is how they're going to spot misinformation. Now, you may have been seeing the word misinformation around on the internet and thinking that it means what it means etymologically, 
based on the words that it's made up of, information and misinformation. You may have been thinking that when someone says this is misinformation, that they're saying this is incorrect information. Or factually incorrect, This yes. is false information. Right. This is not true information. But what the Trusted News Initiative and the BBC and a variety of other organizations set out the word misinformation for specifically at the beginning of this pandemic was misinformation means anything that does not match the official story. Anything that might foster <coughs> vaccine hesitancy. Anything that might foster vaccine hesitancy. Doesn't matter if it's actual CDC data. It's not saying. Doesn't matter if it's actual no. facts Mm-mm. that you can be verified by science. It doesn't right. matter if, if it might foster vaccine hesitancy. It is misinformation. It is called misinformation. Even though that's not what the Latin roots of the word misinformation (laughs) mean, nor is that what the word misinformation is defined as in the dictionary, that's what the officials have been using it on you as over the last two years. Anytime you see the label misinformation, you have a part of your brain that goes off and says, oh, incorrect information. But what is that, what that label is actually saying is this information may make you hesitant about the COVID-19 treatments. Even though it is factually correct. Which is really fascinating right. because that's exactly what the station manager of KBMF said to us when he Absolutely. kicked us out. Almost verbatim, he said, you are not allowed to share any data from any source, including the CDC or the WHO or anyone else, that might be misinterpreted to undermine confidence in state, local, and federal health mandates about coronavirus. It might be construed to undermine. So that's like so many qualifications in that statement. Basically, stop talking about it, is what they said. Uh, the, The BBC says the Trusted News Initiative partners will continue to work together to ensure legitimate concerns about future vaccinations are heard whilst harmful disinformation myths are stopped in their tracks. That's how they're spinning this. So legitimate concerns versus harmful disinformation myths. However, that's not the way it's playing out. Dennis Kelly says, why use the term vax hesitancy? Um, And I don't know the context. I don't know the context either. But I can say... um, we can because there. Who? Why? Why would I use the term vaccine hesitancy? No, why would the BBC the use term the term vax hesitancy? Is a way to just say that um, you haven't got it yet, but you'll get it soon enough. That's what they're saying. Who? Basically, the um, <laughs> the trusted news initiative, and anybody who's using this trusted news initiative or this idea of the corporate narrative around the coronavirus. Vaccine hesitancy is, is a way of saying, well, they're only hesitant. This is the subtext. They're only hesitant to get the vaccine because they just don't know. And you we just need that's to give what them. That's the BBC is saying? Yeah. That's what everybody's saying. The government, CN, CNBC, all, when they say vaccine hesitant, mm. what they're saying is, well, if they just had the right information, then they wouldn't be hesitant anymore. Well, now, see, I grew up, I grew up a very conservative Republican. Christian kid, mm-hmm. and I was surrounded by a lot of health nut moms, you know, people that put tea tree oil on your bug bites and things instead of Benadryl and yeah, that, yeah, that yeah. sort of shit. Um, and there were a lot of parents in that super conservative group that I grew up in who were very vaccine hesitant, and some were truly anti-vaccine. 
Now, what has happened over the last couple of years is the mainstream media and health organizations have just decided that anybody who is not pro this particular shot is an anti-vaxxer. And that's illogically, it's illogical, it's logically unsound, it's scientifically unsound, it's cognitively unsound. What they've said is is if you are not pro this particular treatment, then you are an anti-vaxxer across the board, which is really funny because they're calling Robert Malone, who helped... A vaccinologist. uh, Yeah, uh, (laughs) an an anti-vaxxer, which he is not. Now, I knew anti-vaxxers growing up. I I still do know some of them. Um, And then I also know people who are hesitant about treatments that are FDA approved for good reason, because the FDA and big pharma often lie to people in order to make money off of our illness. Um, and then I know people True. who, who are quite pro vax except for this current treatment, but they're still called, but they're called anti-vaxxer, which is inaccurate and illogical and unhelpful. So the, the term vaccine hesitant. So to apply it to the, when you were a Christian, then people who were not Christians were just Christian hesitant, right? They just hadn't figured out to do the right thing yet, mm. right? Interesting. I've never thought of vaccine hesitant in that sort of way. I've always thought of it as like, um, I consider myself vaccine hesitant in general, I guess. I don't consider myself vaccine hesitant. I, I consider myself an informed person and I have legitimate concerns about this vaccine. I'm not hesitant to take the vaccine. I am not taking the vaccine until there is some kind well, of proof talking, showing that it's safe. You're talking about this right. particular treatment. This particular I'm ta- treatment. I'm yes. talking about the, the, the modern medical culture of vaccines okay. in general. Right. I've heard some really great things about them, and I've heard some really horrible things about yep. them from equally reliable sources. Right. I'm talking polio, smallpox, everything. All the way now. The right. funny part is, for me, I would say, me personally, for my own body, I would, I would, I think of myself as um, hesitant to. I don't just immediately trustingly engage uh-huh. with big pharma's vaccine. Like if I were to right, have a right, child, right. I would probably wait a week before I gave that child any shots. Right. Whereas the mainstream thing to do is they come out of the womb and they give them like eight injections. Right. The minute they hit the planet. Right. So I, that would make me vaccine hesitant, mm. is that I have a plan where I want to slowly introduce these um, pathogens into my child's body as they grow and mature and trust that my body, which produces antibodies to the things that my baby needs right. through breast milk, is going to do some of the work itself. And then we'll work on the, we'll add the other thing. That's, that would be called, to me, that, that's what I think of as vaccine hesitant, is that I don't just like you know, birth a child onto the planet and attach them to the teat of Big Pharma's vaccine regime. To me, that's what vaccine hesitant means. Mm. But you think of it as an outside labeling term. I think vaccine hesitant is used, uh, it's an Orwellian term. It's a public relations term. Mm. Um, it's the polite way of saying anti-vaxxer, which is a pejorative. Right, and largely used inaccurately these days. Used hugely inaccurately. Hugely inaccurately these days. Um so, but uh, so that's that's what I find really problematic. Dennis Kelly said I just used it. If I used it, yeah. I was either reading something. I I I don't I don't usually use that. That's term very interesting. Yeah. So so what would you call someone who isn't just blindly distrusting vaccines, but is hesitant to take a vaccine? This is the idea of informed consent. Right? What do you call that person? What? Say it again. Someone who's not just blindly trusting, oh, obviously my government has my best interest at heart. I'm going to take all the vaccines. 
Um, and they're not just blindly distrusting, like, fuck Big Pharma, I'm not taking anything they give me. Right. They're in the middle. Right. What do you call that person? I don't know. I don't, I don't talk to them. I don't know. I don't know what I would call those people. Isn't that what you are? Uh, You're not pro I, or anti. I would not call myself an anti-vaxxer because I work with rusty metal all the time, so sometimes I get a tetanus shot. Is a tetanus shot a vaccine? Isn't it? I don't know. It's supposed to prevent tetanus. But tetanus isn't a disease. Tetanus is a problem in your blood when you get rust in your blood or something, okay. right? So we'll find out right yeah. now. I haven't had to find out. I haven't had to deal with vaccines. Like if I had to go to another country, mm -hmm. I would probably investigate. Oh, whether tetanus I need is an infection caused by a bacteria. That's so weird. What yeah. does it have to do with rusty metal then? <laughs> uh, I don't know. I'm not sure how that whole thing works out. Maybe I'm a. Maybe I've been conned into getting. Tetanus shots my entire life. I don't know. Fascinating. I think the informed consent question is the most important question that we're dealing with as far as the vaccine thing goes. People seem to think that this is approved by the FDA. These drugs are uh, approved by the FDA, even though it's we're still in what they would call uh, the phase three trials. Yeah. We are not, this is not an approved drug. It is still an experiment. Yeah. So... Um, I would call myself a, uh, a skeptic. Perhaps I am a skeptic of this particular shot because I've heard and seen mm -hmm. some terrible effects. And I think it's important from this shot. Yeah. And here's the other. Here's a. There's a news article that I wanted to bring up also. Um, Indiana Life Insurance CEO says deaths are up 40% among people ages 18 to 64. Hmm. And those are not uh, COVID deaths. So this has happened since the pandemic, is that deaths are up 40% in the group that normally would be considered. Like if people between 18 and 64 were dying from something... If, the, if there were much more deaths than usual in that age group, we would be like, what? Worried. That would be a problem. So, like, th when, this, when this pandemic narrative rolled out, they said this is a pandemic. And we're like, well, I looked at the old definition of pandemic, and it's basically the breeders. Like, like if it's disproportionately affecting the people who are working and breeding in yeah. society, the work, yeah. then that is a dangerous pandemic. The workforce and the breeders. If it is affecting people who are normally having... Um, a hard time with seasonal cold and flu that would normally not, not be, be considered a pandemic. a pandemic. So that was one of the early things where I'm like, wait a minute, that's kind of weird. Up till now, so, we have not had now, a pandemic of 80-year-olds. Right. So so the idea was, okay, this thing is killing people in the usual group of the winter flu and cold season. So now there's this 40% uptick among people 18 to 64 that are dying. Mm -hmm. That seems like that should be bigger news. And why are they dying? What are they dying from? Well, we don't know because the only deaths that are important to talk about nowadays are just COVID deaths. So this is an, I've got a link to this article in the, in the page. If you want to share a link, we to don't it, get to know why our neighbors are dying. If it's not, this COVID. is some, just some news. You know, some local news affiliate talk. It's Indiana. Some India, Indiana life insurance company says, hey, all these people are dying in this age group. I've been hearing that from all over the world. Mm -hmm. There's an uptick in deaths between 18 and 64. 
these are the people who were not affected by not not um, disproportionately affected by by this virus story, but now they're dying. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. Some people are saying, I think this has to do with the rollout of these shots. Mm-hmm. I don't like to call them vaccines because they don't fit the old definition of vaccine. Just the way the pandemic doesn't fit the old de- definition of a pandemic. Just like misinformation doesn't fit the old definition of what misinformation is. This uh, is like vaccine does not match the correct definition of We've been completely hobbled to be yeah. able to, to speak without sounding like a nut job because you can't use words. Because the words don't have the meaning they used to. Dennis Kelly is clarifying for us the 40% uptick in all-cause mortality is in, for 2021. 2020 all-cause mortality rate was actually a little below normal averages. Right. Which is correct. That was right. something that we were looking at back when we were still on the radio show. It was like, okay, with the lockdowns, but um, if fewer people are dying than normal, then there must not... like. We need to reevaluate what we're doing here with these lockdowns. We were talking about that in 2020 as we were looking at all-cause mortality and the excess death rate because these are the zoom-out meta-vision numbers that we need to be looking at, the big-picture numbers. We can't be looking at every individual person's anecdotal experience of the pandemic. Um, One of the things that I really respected about Robert Malone's interview is that Joe Rogan kept trying to get him to voice opinions and make projections right? and say, why do you think they did that? Why do you think they did that? Why, why, yeah. why would someone do that? Why would someone change these definitions? Why would someone spread this, this lie around? And Robert was like, look, I have a lot of lawyers <laughs> and I'm a scientist. I'm tired of dealing with lawyers, so I'm not going to say anything that makes me have to go deal with the lawyers I afterwards. Can, I yeah. can speak in facts. Yeah. And this is what we know. We know about the dates of patents. We know about the dates of news information. We know about the dates of emails. And we know that they don't match up with the official story. I can't hype. I'm not going to hypothesize about why people would do something. Now, post-orthodoxy is not that show. We absolutely yeah. do hypothesize about why people would do these things. And for me, it's definitely uh, like a, a trauma kink. If I can understand why a bad thing happened, mm. I can deal with it better. Right, right, And right. part of the service that I try to provide my friends and loved ones and frenemies that tune into the show who, who pop in and they're like, but why would people, why would someone release a global pandemic? Why would someone lock us in our houses? Why would someone, why would all the doctors be in on it, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera? And for me, finding, the, finding some potential whys to these questions, I think, can be calming and help people understand what happened in order to actually move forward rather than just be trapped in the story. Like when you're a child, you don't know what's going on in your parents' marriage. So you don't understand why you and your mom suddenly start taking a lot of trips without yeah, daddy. Right, right. You know? But then you get older And you look back and you can reframe your memory and you're like, oh, I understand now why she was doing that in a way that I couldn't understand when I was wrapped up in the story of why are we leaving daddy behind all the time. Right. And so I, you know, and it gives you an opportunity to have a better relationship with your mom and your dad because you understand the why. Right. Um, The things that we've been ranging around on already in this show I think is the setup for the the burning issue for me today, which is when we started talking, I think it must have been either September or October is when I first found uh, the first interview that I saw with Matthias Desmond, who was the guy who 
coined the term. Um, I don't think he coined. He didn't coin it. He he first um, brought out the term mass formation. Yeah, he or mass it. formation psychosis, Not- which was in Wikipedia. Yeah, it wasn't necessarily. You could go to Wikipedia and find it. He didn't necessarily bring mass formation to the public eye, but he brought it into this zone of philosophers and investigative journalists. Um, trying to understand the story. Trying to understand what's going on. How He's can like, everybody go along with this story? How can some people say, I guess the flu took a year off? Like, mm-hmm. what kind of mental condition is going on where somebody thinks that that's a thing? Right. How, how, how this, this other mental problem where people are like, well, I've got three shots of these things and I also got the virus, but thank God I had the shots. Otherwise, the virus would have been worse, right? There's no way of knowing that, of knowing or that, proving that, but that is a that's what you tell yourself. peculiar psychological thing that happens where people think, well, I guess it, I'm told it works. Right. Even though it didn't work on me. And I have to believe those guys in order to feel safe. So this idea of mass psychosis, um, of mass formation, or what used to be called mob psychology. Mob psychology... Uh, is like a more crass term for it. Is the way that people talked about... People always wondered what happened during World War II. How did the Germans turn on their neighbors? Yeah. How did they start German exterminating citizens. their neighbors? German citizens. How did regular citizens... Moms and dads. ...start ratting out their neighbors... And allow trainloads of people be shipped off to an oven. Mm-hmm. Mob psychology was uh, the study of how something like that could take place. Crowd psychology, also known as mob psychology, is a branch of social psychology. Social psych- crowd, crowd behavior is heavily influenced by the loss of responsibility of the individual and the impression of universality of behavior, both of which increase with crowd size. Social psychologists have developed several theories for explaining the way in which the psychology of a crowd differs from and interacts with that of the individuals within it. Herd mentality or pack mentality. Right. So when we started talking about this on our show, I think it was October. (laughs) might have been October, September, October. When we started talking about the idea of the mass formation, when you looked it up, it was in Wikipedia, in that entry of Wikipedia. Yeah. It was like mob psychology, mass formation, blah, blah, blah. And it stayed that way for a while. Robert Malone, um, I think this is the, 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 the most listened to podcast ever. 50 million people listened to the Robert Malone interview with Joe Rogan. Yeah, we first, start, we first brought up mass formations on October 10th. October 10th. So we were talking about mass formation way back then. Before it was cool. And then um, the guy from Peak Prosperity immediately started talking about, we were ahead of him on this one, he started talking about mass formation. Um, A lot of the people who I've been going to for information and analysis of this bizarre state that we're living in started coming around to the idea of the mass formation being a possible explanation for why everybody is so crazy right now and and why... um, what appears to be some tragic atrocities are happening. Like right now they're still trying to roll out. Like they had some Australian military guy go up talking about how they're going to start vaccinating the five to 11 year olds in Australia right now. The fact that they're still talking about that right now, knowing everything we know, there's some psychological component that needs to be examined. Um, If you are critical of the story, if you are not critical of the story, then 
why not? Why not mandatorily vaccinate the children? Why are you not critical of this idea oh. <laughs> when there is information showing mm-hmm. that those kids are, one, not at risk for getting the disease? They're also not very much of a risk as a vector for delivering the disease, which was the excuse, right? We had to vaccinate the kids the to protect the old people. asymptomatic transmission, which has been debunked which over, been and, debunked over, and, over and, and over and over again. So all these premises have been shot down, and yet the reactions to these premises are rolling on, and people aren't doing anything. That feels psychotic to me. And now people in Australia cannot leave their house to exercise or go to the grocery store unless they're vaccinated. So I want to try to bring this back down. Not vaccinated, unless they've had one of these particular treatments. So we've been talking about mass formation since early October on the show. I think we've mentioned it on a number of the shows. Once Robert Malone mentions it, it's disappeared off of Wikipedia. Big tech goes nuts. It's disappeared off. Uh, can we go to the page? Can we go to the Twitter page? Or, I mean, my um, my note page? Uh, yes. Dennis Kelly says, a person who is demoralized is unable to assess true information. Yeah. The facts tell him nothing. Even if I shower him with information, with authentic proof, with documents and pictures, he will refuse to believe it. That's the tragedy of the situation of demoralization. Yuri Bezimov, a KJB agent. Yes. So if we can go to uh, the show page notes, mm-hmm. I want to talk about, um, we'll skip the, um, the first thing is the 40% increase in deaths among people 18 to 64, which is a whole story we should be diving into. Uh, this morning when I went on Twitter, I was immediately hit with this barrage of fact checks about mass formation psychosis. Uh And here's this tweet from the AP fact check. Uh, Mass formation psychosis, an unfounded theory spreading online. Oh, my God. Which means it's not based in fact. It was on Wikipedia last week. If it's spreading online, that means you shouldn't trust it because the internet is bogus. An unfounded theory online spreading spreading online. (sighs) This is how people talk to each other these days. Suggests millions of people have been hypnotized into believing mainstream ideas to combat COVID-19. Psychology experts say the concept is not supported by evidence. Get the facts. Okay, 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 okay. If you go down below that and you click uh, on their article, I'd like to go. So this is the AP News article, and I'd like to focus on one paragraph in there where they quote Malone from oh the God. show. They're basically like, guys, there's this thing called brainwashing. Don't worry. Psychologists say it's not real. It's, yeah, experts say. So they quote Malone in this article. They say, Malone went on to say that the phenomena explained Nazi Germany. And this is quoting Robert Malone from the Joe Rogan interview. He says, when you have a society that has become decoupled from each other and has free-floating anxiety in a sense that things don't make sense, Mm. we can't understand it. And then their attention gets focused by a leader or a series of events on one small point, just like hypnosis, They literally become hypnotized and can be led anywhere, unquote. Malone said he claimed such people will will not allow the narrative to be questioned. Okay, let's talk about not allowing the narrative to be questioned. Cheryl says Robert that Malone, sounds like America. That's exactly what we were going through before all of this shit went down. We were so demoralized and confused and felt meaningless. So that quote, this is AP... 
debunking Malone's thing, saying that that in this hypnosis, they will not allow the narrative to be questioned. Robert Malone, a vaccinologist, <laughs> was banned from the dialogue. Yes. Was, you don't get was to hear from him. off of Twitter. So when he says that they won't allow the narrative to be questioned, somebody who was questioning the narrative was disallowed from doing that. Hmm. He's not the only one. He's one of many, many. We were disallowed from questioning the narrative. Yes. We were terminated from our radio station because we questioned the narrative. This is all only supporting the idea of a mass formation. Yes. So... AP's fact check is just saying, oh, it's not really founded. We don't really know. So I went to go to, I went to, go to uh, Wikipedia because that's where we got some information on it after hearing about it from Matthias Desmond. We're like, let's start with Wikipedia and then branch out from there. So we did, and we read it, and now it's not on Wikipedia anymore. There's a, what's the... I'm going to go look it up right now. Look it up right now and see what they've said. Transformation, which is a real thing. Yeah, it was until this week. So the word, so mass formation redirects to group psychology and the analysis of the ego, which is a book by Sigmund Freud. If I look oh for mass formation psychosis. psychosis, the event itself, the purpose of this redirect is currently being discussed by the Wikipedia community. The outcome of the discussion may result in a change of this page or possibly its deletion in accordance with Wikipedia's deletion policy. So there's no information on mass formation on Wikipedia right now. And okay, I clicked on the redirect. Which is a redirect to Robert Malone. For some reason, now he is the guy who's perpetrating this thing that's not real, according to Wikipedia. They're having an active discussion. Yeah? Yeah. I, no, I clicked on... I didn't click on the redirect to Robert okay. Malone. I clicked on, please share your thoughts on the matter at this redirects entry on the redirects for discussion page. Okay. And you can see people um, talking about it. Keep, retarget, keep, keep for now, keep, but only use... The only notable use of this term is by Malone. Keep, but rephrases mass formation. Keep, this is, he, this is hitting critical mass and is a term people are going to search. Likely not ready for its own article, but a redirect makes sense due to the volume of searches it will surely generate. Delete, I can't find any evidence. Delete, not even remotely, blah, 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 blah. So this is a discussion that, real, that the Wikipedia people are having online uh -huh. about whether or not we should continue to be allowed to find out about what a mass formation is. Even though it was on there last week. Yeah. And we used to use the Wayback Machine, which is a thing where you can go to the Wayback Machine, and then they have copies of uh, Internet Archive. Uh, they've, in, they've archived images from pages, and for some reason it's not showing up in the Wayback Machine. They didn't have an image of Gosh. mass formation before it got deleted. Well, if the Wayback Machine is getting corrupted, we're in big trouble. Yeah. It makes me want to take screenshots of everything, but then I basically just become my then own, my you're own the internet own Wayback Machine. <laughs> yeah. um, so they and I get corrupted. This is just this is a part of the problem. Is that the once people start to find a way to make sense, let's go back to the page. Um, we're going to talk about mass formation and the four. The four key components needed for uh, a mass formation to occur. Um, and the four key component, components are lack of social bonds or a decoupling of social societal connections. So Is this it, on your... Okay, here we go. Um, yeah. 
A lack of sense-making. Things don't make sense. If you've been following any of the uh, coronavirus narrative, and it's not even the coronavirus narrative, it's everything leading up to the coronavirus narrative. Things were not making sense. Yes. We have a game show host as president. Uh, we all The vote. DNC like, yeah. decided to pick a candidate for their voters rather than letting the voters pick their candidate. There's, there's this, this decoupling from any kind of sense-making. Um, and then a free-floating anxiety. So when you can't make sense of things, you start to get a little anxious. This um, is a natural animalistic response. If I don't understand what's going on, then I should probably be in a protective state so I'm ready for anything. Psychological discontent. And then free-floating anxiety in general, um, a sense of uneasy, uneasiness that is not tied to any particular object or specific situation. So the guy that we're going to interview on our show next week, uh, Fabio Vigio. Vigi. Vigi. He's make, making sense of this story in a way that I haven't seen anybody else really make sense of it. The why. And it's in economic wonk language that I am not super familiar with or, or comfortable with. Mm-hmm. But I want to interview him to see if he can break it down for us. Because what he's saying is, I'm going to read a quote from this article. Um, this is an article called uh, Self-Fulfilling Prophecy Systemic Collapse and Pandemic Simulation. This is a quote from this article. Uh, the mainstream narrative should therefore be reversed The stock market did not collapse in March of 2020 because lockdowns had been imposed. Rather, lockdowns had to be imposed because financial markets were collapsing. With lockdowns came the suspension of business transactions, which drained uh, the demand for credit and stopped the contagion. In other words, restructuring the financial architecture through extraordinary monetary policy was contingent on the economy's engine being turned off. Had the enormous mass of liquidity, like $9 trillion, that were pumped into the financial sector reached transactions on the ground, a monetary tsunami tsunami with catastrophic consequences would have been unleashed. So the premise of this article and the guest that we have on our show next week is basically saying... The pandemic was the pandemic narrative was created to basically stop everything mm-hmm. because it would have made the real estate bubble that happened in 2008, the subprime mortgage problem, look like kids' play. So that's going to be a lot for some people to take in. That your entire life was overthrown so that the stock market wouldn't crash. It has nothing to do with a virus. It has a little bit to do with a virus. It has very little to do with a virus. It has to do with creating a story so they can stop the whole fucking economy. And they have the tools to do it. And then who got rich? The same people got yeah. like astronomically more wealthy. The middle class is like, good luck finding them anymore yeah and somehow we're just going along with it still that sounds like a mass formation psychosis to me although it's unfounded <laughs> so there are uh, many people I, I i i view it as maybe a step in the right direction or a step of possibility when i see people even even willing to ask the question of like 
um, what you really think that 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 there's like some secret evil cabal out there just trying to destroy our lives. Like one you, big conspiracy. You really you think, think this there's is one, one big conspiracy? All the doctors and all the media yeah. and all the politicians are in on it. You really think that? So when somebody says that to me, even though that might seem like a hopeless argumentative dead end, yeah. I'm like, that's that's a that's a cr- crack in the facade that we can work with because what we're being faced with is another psychological problem, which is that most of the humans on the planet are not sociopaths. Uh, and so they don't think about how they would steamroller their entire neighborhood with all their neighbors in it in order to have a mansion. To make some money. To make, yeah. yeah. Like yeah. they don't. To win the game. They don't think about that. Yeah. And so they don't think that there are people out there that do think that way. That's and so what, that's what if I've I, come to as well. If I can, that's my little introduction of reasonable doubt in that instance is if some, oh, you think everybody's like, there's just like some giant evil cabal or everybody's in on it or whatever. I'm like, well, for one thing, there's a lot of well-meaning people going along to get along. Yes. We've heard this from doctors and nurses all over the place. And for another thing, um, there are people on the planet who are not like you. You are kind. <laughs> you are kind. You are logical. You're a social creature. You care about your social standing and you're going to continue to behave in certain ways that keeps you in good social standing with your community. It's a natural animal trait. And there are some people out there that are not like you that are running things and will absolutely make decisions that you could never conceive of making. And those are the people that we have been elevating for decades. And into those, positions of power. That's absolutely happening. It has <coughs> been happening for a very, very long time. That, that's, the, that's the point for me. Is and that they have way more tools now. People get mad at me because they're saying, oh, you think it's one big conspiracy. The people who say that, who are getting aggressive at me for even considering this idea, ironically, those people are kind. They want this thing to be over. They want to take care of their grandma. And their neighbors. They can't imagine anybody who would do anything to harm other people, especially on, a, on, a, on an industrial level with our, with our uh, institutions. Yeah. They'll belittle you for not wearing a mask on the train. Because for all the right reasons, the problem is, is they cannot imagine the level of fuckery that is going Assholery. on. Like their heads cannot wrap around the level of fuckery that is going on right now, even though it could be demonstrated. Like with this article, yeah, the the guy we're going to interview next next week, he has shown the the paint by number mm-hmm. lead up to them saying we've got to do something, or the whole house of cards is coming down and the oligarchs are going to have to answer. So rather than do that, we'll just squash the kids again. Dennis Kelly says George Carlin had it right. It's a big club. It's a big club, and we're not in it. We're not in it. Um. And our governments are only in it as lackeys of the club. So, like, 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 I, I this is the big picture for me. I, I really used to think that the planet was divided up into countries, but it's actually one giant financial institution. There is unity on planet Earth, it's financial unity, and you don't get to make those choices. I found a tweet from some lady named uh, Sarah Edeon, uh at Sarah underscore Z underscore eight. She said, my entire inner circle is left. I've been a Democrat my entire life. I live in the center of liberal Minneapolis. I am surrounded by insanity and no one is paying attention to anything. Just zombies following rules that do nothing. Mm. I question my own sanity every day. I can't take it much longer. 
this is what's going on is people have watched, especially people who consider themselves left. Intelligent, progressive, well-meaning, socially oriented. Care about society. Community driven. Those people are, unfortunately, I would say the majority of this mass psychosis that is going on, this mass formation. And we've been coming up with, we've been trying to figure out why, again. How did the left suddenly say, yay, pharmaceutical companies, CIA, and big government. Like how, and I know big government is the thing they always say, like, oh, yeah, the left one's big government or whatever. That's part of the problem, is they think government is going to solve the problem. Because they think that the government is run by people like them. (sighs) Even though... Because they believe in democracy and they believe in what the U.S. is supposedly run like. They think the U.S. is actually run the way that they're told the U.S. is run, which is that you go out, you vote, you elect that person, and then that person represents you in the government. And so if the people that I want to elect are representing me in the government, then the government ought to be people like me who are out for my best interests. So, of course, it would be great if we had more social structures in a government like that. Right. Taking care of the weak and helpless. I want to talk about, in this season, I want to move beyond uh, the sleuthing that we've been doing. It's, to my sa- it's, I have figured out to my satisfaction that the narrative, as it is presented, is not only just bullshit. But kind of boring. But intentional bullshit. It's not like they just got it wrong or we made some mistakes. No. There's some serious fuckery going on, and it's to my satisfaction that I can say I don't no longer need to question mm-hmm. whether there's some fuckery going on. You can read those reports for yourself. You can watch those, um, what's it, not CCTV. What is it when you watch the people in... C-SPAN. C-SPAN. You can watch the C-SPAN when go find them. When... Dennis says, congratulations, Dark. <laughs> So, uh, Santa, Mo- Sa- Santa Mo- Moyar, what's, what's the lady's name? She's a Supreme Court judge. I don't know what you're saying. Santa, uh, God, Soda, Soda, Soda Meyer. Soda Meyer. Soda Meyer? I know that word. They're trying to figure out whether Biden's... Um, Soto Mayor. Soto Mayor, trying to figure out whether they want to make Biden's uh, mandates, uh, they want to enforce them or not, right? So, this was going on yesterday. They were talking about this. Meanwhile, Biden has gone home. Sota Moyor. She said, we have 100,000 children in the hospital uh, uh, in serious condition. From she said COVID. that in a, in a place of governance? She said it on fucking C-SPAN. That we have from a- the court, from the oh Supreme Court. She said 100,000 kids were in the hospital with severe COVID. You know what the actual number is? It's about 700. And they all have comorbidities. As in they're all This children. is somebody who's going to decide whether or not you're going to get fired from your job. Like J- Joe Rogan, a fucking pot-smoking comedian. Jimmy Dore, a pot-smoking comedian. They know more about our public health issue than a fucking Supreme Court judge that's going to decide how many people are going to get terminated for not complying or complying with this fucking thing. At that point, it's like we got to set that story aside, and we got to start figuring out how to do some other things. Yeah. So I think peeling back the layer of COVID nineteen, getting beyond this, like I'm so tired of having arguments about whether or not PCR tests work or not. We knew that t- two fucking years ago. We knew that before the fucking pandemic, that it's not a thing that can detect d- disease. We've known this for a long time. Um, 
So when you have, uh, there's nobody in charge. There's no adults in the room. Nobody gives a fuck about you. What the government is doing, what the media is doing, and what the pharmaceutical companies are doing is all money. It has nothing to do with your fucking public health. It has nothing to do with your health. We've had early treatments. This is the this is the. If you want something to get mad about, you can yeah. transfer your anger from anti-maskers to the people that have caused people to die in the hospital. Uh, there are estimates, and I think that it, it's really hard to get this data nailed down. This is the stuff that's only going to be coming out later after the fact yeah. when it's too fucking late, is that 80% of the people who died in this country could have been saved with early treatments. Which we knew about. 80% and which, of the people who died. And which the people in power knew about because you can go back and watch the C-SPAN interviews and read the news briefs of them saying we need to suppress ivermectin and we need to suppress hydroxychloroquine and we need to get Trump to talk about it so people will not want to do it. So that's... We, we know that. People are calling that murder institutionalized murder. When people started saying, oh, this is mass genocide, people were like, okay, come, come on, settle down there. Zippy. When 80% of the people could have been saved, and right now, people who are going into the hospital right now, because when you go to the doctor and you say, hey, look, I think I got COVID, they're like, well, just tough it out until you have to come into the hospital. Tough it out until you can't breathe anymore. We have early treatments. There are people who are doing it, and they're getting sued. Doctors are getting sued for trying to treat their patients with things that actually keep people out of the hospital. Yeah. So you could know that. You could know that's going on. You could know that most of the people who died could have been saved if we were using early treatment and listening to the science and the doctors that, that, that are being censored and gagged mm -hmm. and the media that is being censored and gagged. So we got to move on to it. We got to move on. Uh, at this point, I think so many people are still wanting to argue about whether the unvaccinated are in the hospital, you know, everybody in the hospital is the unvaccinated. We've had that argument over and over and over. What, who are the unvaccinated? People who don't have the booster? People who've had two shots end up sick in the hospital with COVID and are dying? Those are being considered unvaccinated. The terms are all fucked up. Misinformation, disinformation, vaccination, pandemic, none of those words mean what they meant two years ago. None of those words mean what they meant two years ago. So you can't have an actual discussion because everybody's using, it means something, it's like trying to talk about God to 27 different people from 27 different religions. You have totally different images going on in their heads. So our language has been destroyed so we can't even talk to each other. And now mass formation, now the psychology is being attacked. So what do we do from here? This is what I want to focus on in season three. I want to find different ways to look at this, to get beyond the prescribed fights that we're having that is keeping us from actually dealing with the issues at hand, which is that we have a crisis of ethics and we have a, a crisis of accountability. We have politicians and we have media people who are lying, who they've been shown to be lying, and they get on the news and they do it again the next day. They stay in their office and they do it the next day, even though we paid. know they're lying yeah. and they keep getting paid. There's no accountability whatsoever. If you looked at what happened with CNN, with the ivermectin story, with Joe Rogan, that is just like the most obvious story. Joe, uh, 
CNN, MSNBC, they're all like ivermectin, horse dewormer. There's the article about Oklahoma, like, oh, there's so many people who are, who are overdosing on ivermectin going into the hospital that people with gunshot wounds can't get in. Which is a Complete lie. bullshit story. Total lie. But everybody knows and it. And they called him out, and they never retracted. So you can still go to Rachel Maddow and watch her saying a lie. It's still up. Yeah. You can watch CNN saying the lie. It's still up. But they take down people who are doctors and scientists who are saying things that are factually true, and you are not allowed to see them. So we have a problem of accountability, and uh, that's not going to fix itself. How do you hold people accountable? I think we start Is locally. CNN going to hold itself accountable? No. <laughs> and I don't know if we necessarily have the power to hold CNN accountable, but we do have the power to hold our local communities do accountable. We? Do we? I think we do. Okay. You well, and I yeah. have the power to insist upon accountability and integrity in our interactions locally. We cannot insist upon other people's behavior, but we can call it out. We have we the did. ability to call we, it out. We were terminated, gag-ordered, censored from a social justice organization. We tried to hold them accountable, and then nobody supported us in that accountability. We spoke up, and several, like 100 people didn't. 100 people did not do it. But we spoke, So they we said, spoke you up. know what? The integrity of the organization doesn't matter. Our bylaws doesn't matter. FCC law doesn't matter. We're just going to let them railroad you. And so if we cannot hold a 501c3 that meets in, like, um, the Carpenters' Union Hall in Butte, Montana, if we cannot hold them accountable, how are we going to hold CNN accountable or the fucking D.C. accountable? There's got to be some point, and if you want to start locally, I still think that's the issue to start with. There has to be more people than just you and me. It takes courage and it takes curiosity, and those are things that you can only really have when you're at a place of non-trauma. It's very difficult to have courage and curiosity when you're in a place of trauma, when you're not at rest. And if someone has the curiosity and the courage to also hold organizations accountable, then we can do something about it. It like you and I can insist upon accountability and and each member of KBMF could insist upon accountability. And if that, and the people that are watching this show today can insist upon accountability. If someone who's watching today sees a friend of theirs share a meme on their Facebook page that is saying that there are hundreds of thousands of children sick in the hospital with COVID, you know now that that is false. You don't have to trust us. You can go and look at the health data on the CDC and John Hopkins and the NIH and the WHO and see how many children are in the hospital sick. And if you see someone sharing that, you can say, actually, Here's an article from a global health source showing that those numbers are incorrect and you're spreading misinformation, which is going to mislead people. You can do that. You can have, we can encourage our listeners and the friends of the show to encourage themselves and the people around them to have the balls to hold people accountable when you see misinformation. Look, here's my cynicism, and I would like to get over my cynicism. I helped start. Founding music director of KBMF. The show, the radio station was started on a social justice mission. And education. Social justice and education. And, and workers', workers rights. rights. When they terminated us, we had done nothing wrong. They broke their rules to do it. We'd in fact done far fewer things wrong than many other DJs who are still broadcasting. They broke FCC law to do it. When we brought it to their attention... They banned us from the Facebook group that I started, 
So I could not talk to the, the members of this social justice organization about, about what, what had happened in the organization. Yeah. So they censored me from that group. When we asked to hold them accountable by getting the mailing list of the membership, because this is a 501c3 and the membership should deserve to know what's going on within their organization, they denied us that list. When we uh, tried to show up to the meetings, they banned us from the building. By lying to the Carpenters Union. By lying to the Carpenters Union so we can no longer even go to the meeting to continue to try to hold them accountable. They refunded our money that we had donated to make sure that we were no longer members and had no member rights. We've told this story over and over and over. If five people, six people who are listening right now actually called up the radio station and said, what the fuck was that story about? Probably nothing would happen. Something could start <laughs> happening. It doesn't take that much. Yeah. That's that station. They would is, have to talk to somebody who has power over the radio station. And right now, the way that the bylaws they are would written, have to, they would have nobody, to sh- nobody has power over that board except the board president. So they would have to talk with somebody who has power over the board president. Who do you think that would be? They would have to show up to the meetings. They would have to show up to the monthly meetings, which they also stopped saying that they were having, which is also a violation. Of 501c3. Of 501c3 rules. They're supposed to be accountable to their community. They are not accountable to their community. There is one tonight. It may be at a Skype location that you are illegally prevented from knowing. Um, or, or it might it be at the Carpenters Union Hall, which we have been banned from, so we can no longer go there to try to hold them accountable. Yeah. If people showed up at that meeting and said, how come these people were terminated? And why has from there been no airwaves. accountability of you guys breaking the rules, breaking the laws, and breaking the mission of the whole fucking, of the whole fucking organization? You think if people did that, there'd be hope for CNN? You said we have to start locally. If you can't hold a, a 501c3 of a small town where you know everybody in the organization, if you can't get them to be held accountable there, how the fuck are you going to hold like Washington accountable or CNN accountable? Dennis Kelly says he's in L.A. and would miss the meeting. Yeah. Wouldn't be able to make it there in time. So it's problematic because people are just not willing to stick their neck out. I, and that's why the mass formation continues is because even people who can articulate the problem do not get support from the community. Slash on YouTube uh, says get a lawyer and sue them or do it pro se and get yourselves funded. Um. We resisted going the legal route, one, because we don't have any money. I think we were naive. I think we thought that the membership would care. I really thought that eventually people would come around. We, we spent a year working on that issue of sending letters, talking to people. The problem is... And why are we still talking about it? Because we're talking about how are we, gonna, how are we going to deal with the unaccountability and the ethical crisis in the country if you can't even hold the smallest local organization accountable. Because it's the same issue. It all has to do with COVID-19 and the COVID-19 narrative and the bullshit that is being brought out every fucking day. We were the only person on that station. We were the only show on that station that was questioning the narrative. And everything we said ended up being correct. When we started questioning the lockdowns, because we said the lockdowns are going to cause more death and destruction than the virus itself, we were correct. Everything we said was correct, and we were censored and gagged, and we can tell you that right now, Mm -hmm. but the organization that censored and gagged us and allowed the lie to continue continues. 
That's why I'm bringing it up again. Is because if we can't hold that small organization accountable, then what hope do we have to change these larger, the larger zeitgeist? So taking a step sideways off of that subject, keeping yes. that subject in mind. Okay. Um, we had a very interesting conversation on Friday night that I was like, I should turn the camera on. Oh, I should turn the ca- no, we're almost done. Oh, I should turn the camera. You know, um, uh, j- just between the two of us about what is the purpose of these conversations? What is the purpose of what's your mission with post orthodoxy and my mission with post orthodoxy? And talking about um, what are we trying? What do we think we can offer? And what are we trying to achieve? When you is there any hope? Is there a revolution coming? Tammy Strong popped on a while ago, and she's like, I knew 30 years ago that my government does not actually represent me, and I thought the revolution was right around the corner yeah, back then. Right. Um, and I know you experienced some of that, too, is you sort of thought the revolution was surely people are about to find out and put their foot down I thought that for like 30 years. I'm not a genius, and I can see the crack, and that uh, the, the story isn't true. That we don't live in a democracy. We haven't been in a democracy since. Uh, you could, we can at least take it back to Kennedy being assassinated. Since then, that's the story. Is that once Kennedy got killed, uh, the illusion that we have a democratic republic uh, should have vaporized. But right. we, you don't we get continue, to have that guy. We continue to live in this ghost story that we live in a democratic republic, and we haven't in my entire life, but we still act like that's the case. So we have 15 people listening right now. If you guys would take a minute and leave an angry face, if you're on Facebook, subscribe to us. If you're on YouTube, um, friend me if you're on Twitch and um, start thinking of three people that you want to send this video to when the video is over, who might be interested in participating in these conversations, even just having folks subscribing to us and following us we're looking into other platforms um slash says no one listens to kbmf anyway but unfortunately they get a lot of fucking money from people who don't listen to them they get a lot of money from well-meaning people in butte who just want to support a social justice organization who think that kbmf is making a difference in the world and it is making a difference for a lot of people mostly djs who get to play music for their town and share something that they love with their community and that's great but the mission that brings funding in every year is social justice, education, and workers' rights. And it's supposed to be a model for radio stations and community organizations all over the country. And if we cannot hold little groups like that accountable, what is the point? If we can't hold little groups like that accountable, how the heck is there ever going to be a revolution? And perhaps you, wherever you are, whether you're listening in from Hawaii or L.A. or Sweden or Florida, if you can think of some part of your direct neighborhood that where something has slipped through the cracks because nobody wanted to rock the boat, where something has gone unanswered because they didn't say anything and you didn't want to be the only one saying anything, and what if you did say something and then you couldn't get coffee there anymore? Those are the things we're talking about. If we can't deal with that shit, that's the KBMF comparison. If we can't deal with the discomfort of that shit, like, I get it. It's it's more fun to think of a revolution if you're carrying, you know, pitchforks and torches towards a Capitol building that is full of people you don't know personally who aren't going to kick you out of your favorite coffee shop. But that's not where the revolution needs to start. I don't know if there's going to be a revolution. My personal opinion is, uh, my personal opinion <coughs> is that there won't be 
people going to the streets and demanding change. If you look at what's going on in Paris right now, it's happening in Paris. It's happening in in uh, countries all over Europe where people are going out and saying we're not gonna we're not gonna subject uh, be subjected to this vaccine mandate. I don't know if that's going to actually solve the problem though. My personal opinion is that the hubris of this narrative, which is, if you break it all down, it's not about health. It is about a digital ID. This is what everything, this whole pandemic narrative is coming down to. Is It is, it is about a digital currency and a digital ID. Oh, no. So Bill Gates is going to get us. So everybody can be tracked and that if you are not in compliance, they can cut your money off just like that. And your That's ac- what this is about. And your access to communication. Your access so- to communication, to school, to food, to entertainment, to your family, to health. Right. All that shit can be cut off if you are not in compliance. That's what this is about. So it's really about mind control. It is about it's mind actually, control. If you just say it's the money, oh, no, it's the digital ID. Oh, no, it's actually mind control because what that means is no one is allowed to have access to society and resources unless they are behaving and speaking according to the narrative, whatever the narrative is going to be. People are having a hard time thinking that this could be that far. And and And... I've been in these waters since my early 20s. Mm-hmm. I've been looking at having had to deprogram myself from a far right-wing cult means that I had to question everything about my reality. Nothing got a pass. I didn't just accept what my government said after that. I just didn't accept what my doctor said after that. I just didn't accept what the TV news said after that. I was like, okay, there might be something else going on here. I was a paranoid lunatic in my 20s when I had to deconstruct a cult mentality. Faith and reality. Into a sovereign mind. Yeah. It drove me nuts. Going from. I have complete compassion for people who cannot go there because this is not an easy path. This is not an easy jaunt from like, oh, maybe all the powers that be don't give a fuck about me. Maybe I can't that's not trust a, anyone. That's not a quick, <laughs> you know what? Yeah, you're right. It doesn't happen that way. This is like the mind is, is malleable, but it's not that quick. Mm-hmm. You don't change the tack of a battleship. You don't make a hard right. And our psyches are tied into the constructs of our culture and those constructs are deep. And you don't just suddenly question everything. This show is about... Well, you might. This show is about <sighs> introduction of reasonable doubt. Yes. We are not here to change your fucking mm-hmm. mind. We are here to say that the story that's going on is not what it appears to be. And we're only asking for little pieces to be questioned. The PCR test is bullshit. We've been saying it's bullshit. Finally, the... the they C- said it's bullshit They now. said it's bullshit now. Two years after we did. It's easy if you open your head up to the possibility that you're being fucked in the ass by your government, your media, and the pharmaceutical company, and that it is the opposite of what, they're, what they say they're doing for you. They're doing to you. It is a trauma response to want to ignore that you're being abused. It is a trauma response. It is a known and normal animal response to want to ignore that you are being abused. We are in. You can have compassion for yourself about that, and you can still change it. Yeah, look up abusive relationships. If you watch MSNBC, 
and you listen to what Rachel Maddow says, Maddow says, and you're basing your kids' health and your health, and you're endorsing policies because of what Rachel Maddow says or what President Biden says, you're in an abusive relationship because that shit is not, you can't back it up. Facts don't back up what it's they're familiar, saying. It's familiar, but it is not good for you. That's an abusive relationship if you're taking all that shit, carte blanche. And I know that's hard to take for people. I know people are like, well, how could everybody be in on it? It's a lot of complicity. Slash suggests, to quote Catherine Austin Fitz, everyone should be suing the media, doctors, legislatures, etc. all the time just to slow down their fuckery. Uh, there's a guy named Barnes, B-A-R-N-E-S, and you can find him on Twitter. It's B-A-R-N-E-S underscore law. Barnes Law was just in a, there was an interview between him and Chris Martinson from Peak Prosperity. This guy is going to send up red flags for anybody on the left because he represented those kids from from Covington, Kentucky, who were making fun of the Native American guy. Oh, there was that whole thing, right? The smiling child. The smiling child. There was a bunch of those kids that sued the media companies and made them pay. Made them pay or rescind yeah. their slander. Because right. much like the Kyle Rittenhouse trial, the media ran with the most popular version of the story, which is that these kids were just assholes and the Native American was just being a good, peaceful Native American guy, and that's it. And there was a lot more going on that day that we know about now. Uh, if you can pull up, there's a Chris Martinson interview with with that guy. I'm on this guy's Robert. Twitter page right now. Yeah, but if you can find that that interview, it's really worth listening to because what he talks about in that is there's a whole rat's nest of bullshit coming down right now where the the vaccine mandates that Biden said, so you can't, you know, you're going to get fired from your medical job, your military job, your corporate job if you don't comply. What they're, What this guy is finding out is that You can't sue Pfizer if you're injured by the vaccine. No. But if you are compelled to take it by your employer and and you are injured, you can sue your employer. Oh, my God. (sighs) This is this is big news. This is this is so. Not only just the company, but the actual players themselves who were involved in that. That um, So he has... I have, I have friends who, through a lot of hard work and connections, have built companies that have a number of employees over the 100-employee limit, yep. which means that they've been facing... They've been facing the dilemma of needing to force their employees to get vaccinated in order or having to chop their company up into pieces and go through this crazy tax and legal frou-frou to become a couple of smaller companies in order to not not be forced by the government to force their employees to get this treatment. And if they were to have done that, then they would be liable for their employees' medical damages instead of the government, which forced them to do it or the company that created the damaging medical treatment. That's so horrible. Uh, So they're saying that if you, uh, that guy has some really interesting stuff on his website. If you are in danger of being terminated, um, you can, 
he's got some really good advice about asking to see the mandate because often they're saying, well, it's mandated, you got to do it, but there's actually no mandate. There's no actual enforceable thing saying that you have to do it. They're just scaring people into saying, we're going to fire you if you don't do this. So that's not informed consent. Oh, my God. That's coercion. That's bullying. That's coercion. And that's not informed consent. But psychologists say that brainwashing doesn't exist anymore. So if you're going to stay and you're going to get the shot, there are things that you can do using... Um, also, there's the whole notion around uh, Title VII in healthcare, which is supposed to be the Title VII in, in healthcare is supposed to be the uh, Title VII of the Civil Rights Act. Um, Title VII of the Civil Rights Act of 1964, compliance for healthcare organizations. Title VII of the Civil Rights Act prohibits employment discrimination based on race, color, religion, sex, and national origin. Now, a lot of people think that that's like religious exemption. Mm -hmm. He's saying you can be an atheist and get a religious exemption under Title VII. It doesn't have anything to do with actual religion. It has to do with strongly held beliefs. If you feel like you have not been informed or that you have a perspective that is that is in opposition to what they're saying. You're allowed to have convictions? Under, under Title VII, you are protected. Wow. So people are saying, well, that's just a religious thing. It's not just a religious thing. No, you're thing. allowed to have convictions. And you, could have, you could have cognitive liberty and say, I've, I know enough that I'm not complying with this, and you cannot discriminate against me. Hmm. Barnes is an interesting cat, and I don't know if I agree with him on all his politics, but what he he's providing on his website, uh, cut and paste. People are using his cut and paste to uh, deal with their workplace problems, their medical place problems, their school and education problems, making sure their kids don't have to get a goddamn vaccine to go to school uh, or, or to wear a mask. He's giving cut and, uh, uh, ways for people to cut in. and paste to um, just right click on that shit. And write your own shit. He's doing it for free as a service for people who need to start because you're not going to be able to protect yourself unless you actually know what the laws are. And they're railroading these things through and people are just being overwhelmed by the availability bias because it's coming out of the media, it's coming out of the news, it's coming out of your fucking politicians, and it's coming out of your goddamn schools. It's inundating but if you stop and you step back for a second and you start actually looking at the law that's going on, you can start to protect yourself. Or at least if, you, if, you, if your house and your mortgage and your kids eating depends on you getting that shot and keeping your job, you can do it in a way where you're not giving up your right to sue your employer or to sue the school if you are injured by that shot because you can't sue the goddamn company anymore. Hmm. So these are all things that you can empower yourself with. God. Wow. Um, Gerald F. joined us for the first time on YouTube. The majority of it is all fear when there's nothing actually in place. Always ask for the papers. Yes. It's your right. Yes. We watched a really alarming video. Um, I almost felt badly for the pharmaceutical employee, but there was a pharmacy employee at like a Walgreens, like some nerdy Uh. pharmacy kid who was being very gently drilled by this lady on video, like, I would like to see the warnings yeah. for the, co- the the COVID shot. I'd like to see the insert for the COVID shot with the warnings on it. And because th- it didn't come with the package the employee opened to vaccinate her with. 
And so he had to go in the back and rifle around. He finally found it in like the meta package that all the individual shots came in. There was one, you know how they send those. It's like that super thin receipt paper that's folded up super tiny and taped closed. And it says warnings on the outside. It's like a little bundle. Um, And you're like, oh, yeah, okay, good. Here we go. Warnings Uh, and cautionary and um, um, counterindications. And you should ask your physician if. So she can be informed before she gets the shot. Before she takes the shot. So he opens it up and unfolds it. And it's like four by five feet. (laughs) It's like a giant map. And it's blank. Completely blank on both sides. And he like. You can just see his brain exploding, and I felt so badly for this. I think that person. guy was a little bit on the spectrum. Yeah, but it, like, it, it, like. And so I it's, have compassion it's for shocking. him. Yeah. It's a shocking thing to experience because he trusts the he trusts the systems that he's working in, and he trusts that he's helping people by dispensing medication to them. Yeah, and he trusts that he's at least could be informed if he wanted to be, but he could not. He could not have been informed if he wanted to be about the medication that he was giving to this lady that he thought he was going to save her life with. Because he opened this sheet up and then like immediately like just crumpled it up and like ran (laughs) ran around the corner and threw it down an aisle. It's pretty sad. It was really sad. Like this is this is what we're facing. This is this oh so I, I want to focus this season on uh, getting out of the rat's nest of some of these prescribed battles, which is how many vaccinated are in the hospital and how many aren't, because there are roadblocks to all those arguments because we don't have good data. So you end up having to go to global data. You can't use U.S. data like, you, uh, or, yeah. or, or that particular hospital's data because of the fucking money rat nest mm-hmm. and the way everything is set up. So I want to zoom out. I just uh, posted a link to the article, The Self-Fulfilling Prophecy. This is the guy who we're going to have on our show next week. I want to start zooming out and seeing if we can find other ways to look at this story. We have talked about repeatedly the idea of the mass formation. Now that Robert Malone brought it out on Joe Rogan, you can't fucking get good information on it because it's being scrubbed from the goddamn internet as of this week. Just like they did with terrain theory. Same thing with terrain theory. That was something we talked about early on in this pandemic. And then once once uh, the, the roll towards the vaccines came... Terrain theory disappeared off of Wikipedia. It's so you been could, reformatted as germ theory denialism. Germ theory denialism, yes. Um, so there are other tools that you can use to educate yourself and and uh, to, to get a, uh, a zoom out of this story. I talk about the Milgram experiment a lot mm. because this is about blind trust in authority. And so much of what's going on right now is because people blindly trust authority. We were kicked out of our radio station because the board said we should. That was blind trust of the board, even though they gave no good excuse, no reason for doing it. And we showed that they broke their laws. doesn't matter. They're the authority. They have more power than the individuals who were terminated. We have to start looking at our blind trust and authority. And I'd like to, would you mind going to Mm -hmm. the thing and play this little clip? From uh, there's the Milgram experiment. There's another experiment that helps explain how something like a mass formation can occur. And it's called the ash experiment. Uh, Isn't that right? Mm -hmm. A-S-C-H experiment. The ash experiment. Um, All right. It's the Solomon Ash conformity experiment. So watch this little clip. 
this is not the whole story, but you can dive into this story and help understand how so many people that you know have bought a load of bullshit. Because we just want to get along. The Ash experiment is one of psychology's oldest and most popular pieces of research. A volunteer is told that he's taking part in a visual perception test. What he doesn't know is that the other participants are actors, and he's the only person taking part in the real test, which is actually about group conformity. Please begin. The experiment you will be taking part in today involves the perception of line length. Your task will be simply to look at the line here on the left and indicate which of the three lines on the right is equal to it in length. So, for example... The actors have been told to match the wrong lines. The volunteer will be monitored to see if he gives the correct answer or if he goes along with the opinion of the group and gives the wrong answer. In the first test, the correct answer is two. Uh, one. 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 Two. One. <laughs> Once again, the correct answer is two. Three. 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 The Ash experiment has been repeated many times, and the results have been uh, supported again and again. We will conform to the group. Again, we're very social creatures. We're very much aware of what the people around us think. Uh, we want to be liked. We don't want to be seen to rock the boat, so we will go along with the group. Even if we don't believe what people are saying, we'll still go along. One. 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 Group dynamics is one of the most powerful forces in human psychology. Oh, that's unfounded. Um, I heard that was unfounded. Psychology in general. Uh, experts say. Experts that group psychology, you, brainwashing doesn't happen. No. Um, you're too special for that. If, you're, if you want to know how mass formation can Marley occur... Marley says cringe. <laughs> if you want to know how mass formation occurs, according to Matthias Desmond, he's the guy who sort of rolled this thing out before Robert Malone ruined it for everybody by making it too popular, so they had to <laughs> fucking kill it. In, in Matthias Desmond's story of mass formation he says that there's a 30 percent of the population that is all in zealot they're like we're gonna flatten the curve we're gonna do the thing everybody must wear a mask we're gonna save the world 30 percent is all in well it's 15 percent on one side and 15 percent on the other side no, right no he's no. saying about 30 percent this is this is why it's a mass formation 30 percent go all in there's another 30 percent on the other end that is Skeptical, <coughs> but they get censored, they get gagged, they get shunned, they get kicked out of their groups, right? So they're skeptical, and of that 30%, only so many of them are vocally skeptical. Right. So it looks like a tiny minority of people who are with it. In between those 30 is 40% of the population that is like this ash experiment. Mm-hmm. They can look at it and like, that seems a little crazy, but I'm just, I, this is my workplace people this is my family this is my church this is my job so i guess i'll just go around yep. so it looks like 40 it looks like 70 percent of the people are on board and then there's then there's those vocal people like you and i and a few other people who keep getting slapped and banned 
and kicked out of communities because we're not willing to go along with what our eyeballs are telling us is bullshit. Marley says, me wearing a mask to avoid issues, wondering how the experiment is real, LOL. (laughs) So I think it's important to understand these are tools. The ASH conformity experiment, the Milgram experiment. If you do not know what the Milgram experiment is, look into that story. Mm. Your neighbors will kill you if a guy in a lab coat tells them to. They will do it. Loving, trusting, well-meaning people. God save us. <laughs> so these are little things. These are little. This is like if you have your little bat belt with all your little special tricks. The Ash uh, conformity experiment, the Milgram experiment, and understanding what. Uh, <laughs> try to do some research on mass formation if you are not familiar with it. You can look at the uh, the Peak Prosperity interview. Uh, Chris Martinson interviewing Matthias Desmet is a really great breakdown of what this mass formation idea is. Uh, I have a ma- I imagine that that's one of those things that's now got to, we, we weren't getting censored for that before. I imagine that's one of those things that's going to get a shadow ban now. Mm. Um, since Malone broke the story on a big way with Joe Rogan. Um, I imagine mass formation is now it's going to be, it's, it, they're already trying to make it a right wing conspiracy Oh, tell him what the Prime Minister of Canada said about people who oh, are he- who are hesitant to take these COVID treatments. Uh, it's it's the guy. I have to look it up. And isn't he's, it? He's isn't speaking it the President French. of Canada? Yeah, Trudeau. Trudeau. Yeah. Trudeau basically said people. He's, he's, he used a very loving tone. There are some vaccine hesitant people, but most of them are sexist, racist, racist bigoted, bigoted, dangerous people. That's what he said. Macron is doing the same thing. He's basically saying, we're going to make these people so miserable that they will comply. You can look at the, you know, just look up the, look up the Trudeau, the Trudeau one. Uh, it's pretty gross. Are you looking it up on Twitter? No. Oh. Sorry, no, I didn't know. I didn't know where you'd found that one. I was looking up Matthias Desmet. Okay, yeah, do that. Um, top Google results: Matthias Desmet, Ghent University. I am a passionate. I am passionate about subjectivity and psychic functioning in general, and about psychotherapeutic and psychoanalytic practices in particular. And then the next search result: Has everyone gone insane? Yes. Uh, below is an interview with Dr. Matthias Desmet, a Belgian professor of clinical psychology at Ghent University. And then the third result is Matthias Desmet spread fear online. He's been slowly increasing his fear peddling while claiming everyone else is in fear. Why do so many buy into the narrative? <sighs> so you can find results. If you, I'm going to put this guy's name spelling in here for you. You can find results on Matthias Desmet, whether you'd like to read um, defact, de- detractors or supporters. This is how you spell it. M-A-T-T-I-A-S-D-E-S-M-E-T. He's the less popular person who's been talking about it. Oh, my God. I keep trying to find a clip, and it's all, like, on Sean Hannity's channel and shit. A clip of John Trudeau? Yeah. You know, it's all the right-wingers that have brought it up, which is unfortunate. You know, unfortunately, the right-wingers are on the right side of this, this issue. The right wing people 
kept their mouths shut for a while. Now the politicians are opportunistically moving in because Mm. the Democratic stance on the coronavirus narrative is so blatantly dumb and dangerous. All right. Slash has shared a link via email with Post Orthodoxy um, anonymously. Let's see. It looks like a slideshow. I'm going to be very careful how I share this. Yeah. This video. Um, Make sure I'm not sharing any incriminating information here. So it looks like a slideshow. Oh, yeah. With two slides. Like a list of to-dos from the cabal is kind of what it looks like. And here's the first list. Arrest opposition leaders. Mm -hmm. Impose digital identity on everyone. A QR code. We're already doing this. I had to get one to go see Lady Gaga. It was horrible. Yep. I, I immediately felt like I internal inconsistency. <laughs> yeah. Um, establish martial law to defeat the opposition. Result, second stage of digital control, imprisonment or removal of opponents. Yeah. Um, and then I'm going to go back and switch slides. And then our second slide, phase five, establish chaos and martial law. November 2021st to March 2022nd, exploit the shortage of goods and foods, cause paralysis of the real economy and the closure of factories and shops, let unemployment explode, apply a third dose to the vax, take up the murder of the living old men. That's interesting. I wonder what that Yeah, I saw this. I found this the other day, too. Take up, uh, impose compulsory vaccination for all, amplify, uh, most, many countries are already doing this. Many countries, yeah, like you don't get to eat food. If you don't get this shot, amplify the myth of variants, the efficacy of the vaccine, and the immunity of the herd or non-immunity of the herd unless you get this particular shot. Demonize the anti-vax and hold them responsible for the dead. So I see all of these things in place. Thank you for sharing that, Slash. Yeah. Dennis says we can't understand the media until we know the history of the CI at sign. See, I had signed. No, I hear you. Yeah. I, I started yeah. spelling stuff weirdly recently just because otherwise Facebook won't let anybody talk to me. Gerald F. says, it feels like Robert Malone's interview on Joe Rogan has been a huge moment and shift. The mm. info has gotten to so many people. The fact that they had to take down the mass formation page on Wikipedia says something. Mm-hmm. Paul Niehaus says, don't be afraid to join forces with conservatives if they're right. Well, this is the thing. This is the really difficult this is really difficult because for me, for like I'm, I'm open-minded. Like I don't like, I can disagree with you on five things and agree with you on two things. Mm-hmm. I can, I can separate ideas from people Yeah, and I can endorse your good idea and not endorse you entirely as a human being and everything, and everything you've that you've said. ever said. <laughs> Most people don't have that. Sorry. I, I feel, I feel I guess maybe for me, I walk a line because we have tried to walk a line with this show in order to, as you say, do palliative care for people who are not as willing to cross divides as we are, or maybe don't have the capacity or the ability 
to think outside of their narrow identity, tribal identity. There are many deep thinkers who are joining us today to have these conversations and to take a little bit away to chew on while you make your Sunday dinner, and that's awesome. And for every person that's on here, there are 50 to 100 people who are, it's not in their wheelhouse. They don't have the spoons for it. They don't have the training for it. They don't even have the desire. They just want to live their life. And so to me, like, I think when I speak about palliative care yeah. as my part of my main mission for post-orthodoxy, I don't mean that in a defeatist kind of way. I think I generally don't look at what's going on on the planet and think that in my lifetime we are going to overthrow the overlords and start running the planet in a way that's good for us. I, that's that's generally my perception right now. Right. You my, know, I've only it, really right. been coming into understanding what's going on in the globe in the last five years or even caring or paying attention to it. And so that's my perception right now. I'm open to that perception changing. And so when I say palliative care, I'm generally talking about like your mission statement, which is we're out to have a better time with more people more often. Mm. I would like as much as possible to help the people that interact with me to feel as though they're empowered to think for themselves and have a better life and take care of their loved ones, whatever that means for them. I started to say this, and I don't know if I got it out earlier, that I don't think that the revolution is going to come with a bunch of people marching out in the streets. I don't think that's going to be the revolution. I personally feel like it's going to be an emperor wears no clothes moment. And it's going to, ha it's going to be um, death by a thousand cuts. I think that the narrative is um, in natural systems, when natural systems get out of whack there will be a system collapse. It's what they talk about with the honeybees. You know, you think, oh, who cares if the bees die? We have plenty of other things. But if the bees die, that messes with your food chain. Yeah. Right? It's the same thing with this propaganda public relations campaign around COVID-19. There's enough people that know that this is bullshit, that know that there is bullshit in this story and that it's dangerous bullshit, and there are enough people who are losing loved ones because of the bullshit that my hope and my sense is that there will be a system collapse when the narrative, a narrative collapse, mm. when they've taken it too far or they pushed too hard, where there will be a pushback, and I have a feeling it's going to be mom's. Who are when they start pushing and shoving to get the kids fucking vaccinated against something that they don't need? That's killing. That's killing kids. The treatments are killing children. Yeah, when when the parents stand up, that's when things will shift. So, and this shift is not just about the COVID narrative. Again, pull back the COVID narrative. What is it? It's about BlackRock. It's about these large financial organizations that are the wizards of the planet that just keep sucking and sucking and sucking and giving nothing back. They're doing it in a slow enough. It's that frog in the boiling water I'm thing, <laughs> you know, um, that we might just die in the pot. We might just fry. We might just boil and die. This is part of our big conversation on Friday where we were like, well, is there going to be a revolution in our lifetime? Or, and it, my perception is, I can see maybe the structures collapsing and citizens taking over the globe in like 50 to 100 years or something. 
how do you base that number? What is why? Why do you say fifty to a hundred? Do you think that we can continue to go down the road the way we are now, yeah. with this heavy-handed propaganda, with murdering? Like what they're doing is they're killing people with these shots. Um, I don't mind saying that. Yeah. People know that they're killing people by not allowing early treatment. They're blocking early treatment, and people are dying. So enough people dying. Mm-hmm. They're survivors. You think they're just going to continue to let that happen? I believe for a hundred or fifty years. I believe that there are already hundreds, and I believe that if you were to look at it as a pie chart, I yeah. believe that that a large portion of the pie of disease and death that is already occurring is because of previous interventions like these COVID shots, and we are still already not doing anything about it. It's pretty shocking. I think that we are like the quote unquote rise in autism, the rise in cancer, the yeah. rise in, in um, autoimmunes, the rise in mental health issues. Uh, one perception of those issues is that we have more screenings. We have more open-mindedness about mental health. We have more acceptance of people's different issues. But I also think that a lot of those things are on the rise categorically because of previous big pharma and government medical interventions in society, whether that's putting a microwave in every home Mm -hmm. or instituting a particular vaccine mandate for people to be able to send their kids to preschool. Mm -hmm. And we are already not doing anything about it. Uh, Marley said, what do you see being the catalyst? Um, She's responding responding to Cheryl, who said revolution will happen when divide and conquer no longer works with controlling the narratives. Uh, I'll go out on a limb on an answer for that one. Okay. Uh, I think the last civil rights battle that we're going to deal with is the psychedelic movement. What we're dealing with right now is people who are stuck in tribal identities either Republican or Democrat or Christian or some kind of activist identity, racial identity. Those are all divide and conquer things. They're, they're like where the civil rights movement was something that needed to happen. Now they're using racial stuff as a divisive tactic. It's becoming more divisive, yeah. right? So the thing that was required that was medicine is now being turned into We absolutely poison. needed awareness and we yes. needed restitution, but now we're just fighting over it. So uh, a lot of these movements that were supposed to give people a uh, fair footing in the world, trans rights, gay rights, hey, let's not make fun of fat people, whatever the thing is, mm-hmm. those things came from a place that then turned toxic. Right. Because... It's a, they became divisive things rather than uniting things. It's supposed to get people more into the game, and then it ended up cleaving people out of the game. Mm-hmm. Um, my personal opinion is that the last civil rights movement is going to be a cognitive liberty movement, and it may not have to do with psychedelics itself, but psychedelics are going to play a major role in that. As we are talking about microdosing mushrooms, microdosing LSD, microdosing... Uh, using ketamine, ketamine using M- MDMA, uh, MDMA, these things inherently break down these divisive tactics and start to show people connection. And that's what we're lacking. And that is what is constantly being whacked at 
is our ability to unify. Our ability to feel connected to our neighbors, which is why it's okay to call someone a cunt face online and hope that they jump off of a cliff and die because they won't get the COVID treatment. So I, I really feel like MDMA. There, you have to move outside of the front lines of this battle and you have, to, you, have to, you have to move away from the fray a little bit and we have to be getting people dealing with their goddamn traumas. We have been traumatized as a, as a society. We're being traumatized as a society right now. This idea of dividing us, like fucking Trudeau saying anybody who doesn't get a vax is a fucking racist, sexist, uh, fascist, ironically. If if you've had a healthy dose of uh, LSD or mushrooms, that doesn't land. Yeah. You don't buy that into that bullshit. So I feel like there will have to be a cognitive civil rights movement where we have to have the ability to tinker with our own consciousness so that we can realize when we're being fucked with, like we're being fucked with right now. So I feel like I don't know how quick that happens. People really like this topic. We should talk about how the revolution is going to happen more often. I think it's going to be psychedelics. And as we're moving towards moving them into therapeutic practices and normalizing them, and, and I'm not them, bringing them into spaces where they can be regulated and dosed correctly and safely. I got out of my cult. I talk a lot about deprogramming myself and having enhanced natural immunity to bullshit. I did it with psychedelics. Yeah. I didn't just decide, you know what? I, I'm going to change my entire operating system. All by yourself. All by, I didn't. It was messy, and there were, there were not a lot of good books. There were not a lot of good pathways, institutions. Uh, like, uh, there are tropes. Like, we spent the first half of this, sh- uh, of last season, talking about trauma because I realized myself I didn't know enough about it. I didn't know that I was a traumatized person when I was trying to heal myself from my traumas. I didn't know what fucking trauma was. And There's we- enough trauma awareness now that people can realize, like, if you're in a trauma state, you're not reasonable. No. If somebody is talking to you from a trauma state, you are not going to have a reasonable, rational conversation with them. And if we had been more trauma-informed, like... We can we, stop wasting our breath well, trying to have productive conversations with people who are in a trauma state. Right, and we, we might have approached the conversations that we were having on KBMF differently because Dark and I have put a lot of work and gone through the valley of the shadow of death multiple times intentionally with ourselves to become cognitively sovereign and to be able to move our own minds the way we want to move our own minds and not realizing that other people are still locked in to their traumas, I think had us speaking on KBMF in a very bold and logical way that did not take into account how traumatized our listeners were by recent political events or by, um, the, the health narrative in general. Because to us, we've gotten to a place where we're largely led by logic rather than by emotions. But most people are led by emotions rather than logic. And so when we come in and we say something, hey, this super emotional thing, Trump being president or <laughs> a virus on the planet, this super emotional thing does not actually affect me emotionally because I know this, this, and this logically. He and Biden have nearly the exact same political policies on paper. 
then then I'm liberated from being emotionally affected by the Trump presidency. But I'm speaking to a bunch of people who do not have access to that skill to use logic to emotionally liberate themselves from a traumatic event. And we should be teaching those skills. We should be teaching those skills in grade school and high school. A lot of schools are starting to teach meditation and emotional awareness and emotional management practices to children. And that's awesome. But I think if we had been more trauma-informed during season one, we would have spoken about the things we were learning about coronavirus differently. I didn't realize the depth of the trauma. (laughs) That's why we had to do so much work at the beginning of last season is because people were, I mean, Trump trauma is a real thing. Mm -hmm. It's really easy to make fun of people who got scared by Trump. It's kind of easy to make fun of them. It's like, how could you take that guy seriously enough to be traumatized by him? Which you have the ability to do because you're in a place that feels safe. Well, because I also have been skeptical of the entire... Uh, like politics in general forever. The corruption of politics my entire life. Right. So it wasn't like a lot of people got into politics with Trump because of trauma. They only started paying attention to U.S. politics because... When the fever hit. Because Trump didn't speak like all the other presidents speak. And so it shocked people into getting involved in politics in a new way who hadn't been involved before. And I just got to be really clear. Fuck Trump. I don't, I'm not a fan of Trump. I'm not a fan of Biden. I think they're puppets, and I think they're, they're useful idiots that are brought out. There's something to attach feelings to. I, but they're not the people who are, who are orchestrating the planet. Would you say fuck Biden? I would say fuck Biden, too. Okay. Fuck that guy. Just checking. They're not, those guys, they're figureheads. They don't do anything. Biden is, is barely even cognitively. I don't even know how they're, they're getting him to him from places. Let that guy retire. He needs to put his slippers on and go to bed. Uh, we have some comments I want to get to in our last okay, 10 minutes. Yeah. Deb Lynch, money is the overseer of apocalypticness, for sure. Um, Ger- Gerald F. on Facebook made a good point that if the powers that be cannot continue propping up the financial structures, inflation is going to cause a crash and drive a revolution sooner than than I would think. Um, like, the... The fact that we literally don't can't bring enough, you know, the whole money in a wheelbarrow thing. Yeah, if this that is why happens, this is why I don't think uh, fifty or a hundred years is a reasonable thing. Like this coronavirus, according to the guy we're interviewing next week, this coronavirus was a stopgap to keep for a, a, a massive global finance collapse. Mm-hmm. Um, Marley recommends a book: "The Boy Who Was Raised as a Dog" mm. by Bruce Perry is a phenomenal read regarding trauma. Huh. Um, and then we have a couple of comments about uh, psychedelics. So Marley says, do you consider ketamine treatment as part of this uh, connection and therapy movement? Yeah, ketamine treatment is now a, a, legal in several a states. legal in several states. You can go get ketamine treatment. It often is not accompanied by psychological guidance. It would be better if you could find a ketamine therapy treatment center that is accompanied by psychological guidance, someone who's sitting with you and talking with you and giving you some ideas of how to frame your experience. But the good thing about ketamine is as an experience itself, you don't really need that. It just makes you feel calm and peaceful, whether someone's telling you to feel calm and peaceful or not. It can put, um, it can, give a rest to the trauma for a moment. And mm-hmm. sometimes that's all you need to remember. It's possible to is, feel okay. Is to remember that it's possible to feel okay. Cause there, some, some, so many of us are locked into trauma 24 hours all day long. We think that is life. 
Some of my experiences with these medicines have given me the ability to realize how much pain I was in. I started going to the gym. I started going to the chiropractor. I started going to the hot sauna. These are th- I sought out ways to find the insurance necessary to cover treatments to take care of my body because I had never been out of pain since I like turned 12. My structure had always been uncomfortable and agitated and nervy and painful. Anxiety is crunchy, man. It just wrinkles yeah. you up. Yeah. And and having an experience on some of these medicines of being peaceful and calm and pain-free enabled me to realize that, uh, one, I did not have that thing <laughs> and that a lot of my energy was going into just psychological pain management all day long. And two, that it was possible for my body to feel good and for me to be happy to be in my body. Um, and that's something that I got out of those treatments. Gerald F. says, by psychedelics, do you mean spirituality? I took mushrooms once and it really changed me to be more present and I feel more connected to everything. That's going to be a huge tool for revolution. I think it is a massive... T- I th- I, I, I've Isn't had that this what feeling, the 70s was supposed to be? <laughs> I've had this feeling since my early 20s when I realized when it these medicines helped me get out from under... Um, a binary uh, prison where there was only right or wrong or black or white and good and bad and nothing in between. And it helped break that binary thing and allowed me to start to see more gray and then spectrum and understand that things are not so easily sorted out, which means that I didn't have to take a side that was the that was the condition that I was in. You had to take a side mm-hmm. in order to be loved, and then you had to fight to the death, and you never reconsider your position. That was the other problem. So I, I, I hesitate to use terms like spirituality because I think that has positive connotations for some people, negative connotations yes, for some people. Yes, that's true. I think you can be a flat out atheist and still have um, experiences on these medicines that can be healing without calling it spiritual. Mm-hmm. But I think... Connection. Connection. Communion. Like, for me, I can break it down in very, very physical scientific terms. Empathy like, and compassion. We live on a holistic planet, and we forgot that. We are a part of the environment. We are not... There's nature and then humans. Reintegrating into the web of nature allows you to then see how there's this idea of us and them is a a construct that is used to hurt us. And as long as you're invested in the us and them, and that means the us and them is the mask, no matter where you are on any of these discussions, if you're angry at the other side, you have fallen prey to... You've been played. You got played. You've been played. If you're mad at somebody for wearing a mask, you got played. If you're mad at somebody for not wearing a mask, you got played. That was the main point that got us kicked off the fucking radio station is saying it doesn't make any sense to make a medical issue a fucking political issue. If you're mad at people for getting played, you got played. And we have to have compassion. Mushrooms can help. Yeah, you, <laughs> we have to have compassion for people who are getting played. And right now, we're we're mad at people who are getting played. Mm-hmm. And these are things that I think some of these medicines can help with. But 
We don't have, um, I am nowhere near as cavalier as I was in my early 20s. I don't think everybody should run out and do LSD at all. Slash brings up that very point at the same time you do. Psychedelics affect, quote, I'm putting this in quotes, stupid people, very differently than they affect smart people. I thought that my experience was an LSD experience. It wasn't. It was my experience on LSD. It was what LSD was allowing you to bring out of yourself. So... It's tricky. I am not endorsing. I'm not saying everybody should do something or not do something. All I'm saying is that we have solutions to our problems present. The solutions to the corruption that is going on right now with this coronavirus narrative. We have, we know the lies. We can prove the lies we have to make sure that people who are being deplatformed for exposing this stuff get replatformed. We have to start defending the people who are sticking their neck out there. Speaking of, we do have a website. Uh, Gerald F. says LSD was tripping on dark. It was, yes, <laughs> yes. Well, that's, that's what somebody told me one time. They said, you know, um, when you're um, on... Uh, mushrooms. Mushrooms are having a human experience. You're having a mushroom experience. Mushrooms, and the mushrooms are, having, are having a human uh, experience. Book recommendations. Marley says, for those who have absolutely no experience diving into trauma, start with Nadine Burke's book, The Deepest Well. She also recommended Mycelium Running by Paul Stamets regarding mushrooms right. and our relationship to the environment. And if you're not a book person, we just watched the absolutely, from a filmmaking perspective and from a storytelling perspective, mm. phenomenal documentary, Fantastic Fungi on Netflix, Oh my gosh, they cover the whole story and it's gorgeous, full of time lapse of mushrooms growing um, and explanations of like how the very, the very cosmos reflects the spread of mycelium under the surface of the Earth's soil. Um, it's, it's a really fantastic documentary, fantastic fungi. Um, we've hit the two hour mark, dear. This is a great first show. Thank you so much. We have yeah. 15 people tuning in right now. Um, we could continue to talk about de- I, I deprogramming actually- revolution and psychedelics all day but for right now if you could take a moment and visit postorthodoxy.com and become one of our subscribers to help us pay somebody to post produce and pre-produce these shows we're doing everything on our own right now yeah but yeah if you go to postorthodoxy.com there is a subscribe button uh we've set it up where it's really easy to make a five dollar a month recurring payment and you don't have to think about it we'd like to be job creators so that we can have more than one conversation with you guys about this a week. We're building new communities. We're trying to decentralize and move beyond the prescribed distraction communities. Um, we're looking into other platforms that we might broadcast on where we won't be deplatformed. Let's talk about that. We're not sure. Um, we, had a, we had a meeting last week with some folks that have a platform uh, that they've asked us. Uh, we're talking about being hosted on their platform, which means a larger audience. Yep. Basically, we're building our audience off of our Facebook friends group. Which comes down to you guys on YouTube and Twitch and Facebook inviting somebody to join you next Sunday when we interview Fabio Vigi about his zoom-out perspective on what the fuck just happened over the last two years. Should we talk about that guy? Fabio? Yeah. We did. Many Uh, times. We did? Yeah. I was going to give his, like, uh, what's his... 
his uh, his credentials. His credentials. Yeah, Cheryl's like two hours flew by. Yeah, <laughs> thank you so it much. Goes so fast, you guys. This has been one of the best shows to date as far as having consistent folks hanging out the whole time, talking with us. We even had some new people show up in the chat. Thank you so much. We put this chat bot here because we want at least you guys to be able to talk to each other and share resources with each other, and then we are able to talk with you as well and and interact and and you are creating this conversation with us at the same time. So the guy we have on our show next week, Professor Fabio Vigi, uh, he says that his research focuses on critical theory, theoretical psychoanalysis, and film, as reflected in his recent publications, including the following volumes, blah, blah, blah. His current research projects tackle capitalist crisis from a psychoanalytic, uh, psychoanalytic perspective, focusing on Jacques Lacan's notion of discourse as social bond. Discourse as social bond, which you are not being allowed to have. Yes. So I'm really excited about this interview. Uh, the guy, I, I read his article, which we had in the comments earlier. Um, I highly recommend reading that article in advance of the show next week. I think it's pretty explosive. I, uh, I'm amazed that he's still a professor. <laughs> and, and he wrote that article and he's going to come on our show next yeah, week he wrote so this I'm article really in august and he's still a professor and he's still a professor um so that's a that's going to be next week's show i'm really looking forward to that interview me too thank you so much to everybody that joined us today on your way out the door uh take a moment and invite a couple of friends to follow us on facebook or youtube or twitch yeah, or just, just send like this button. video yep you know, just be like, hey, I enjoyed this. You might also. Thank you for visiting our Outpost in the Borderlands. Post-Orthodoxy is a project of Sevier Studios. We host ongoing interactive conversations centered around cognitive liberty, and you can join in by catching one of our live streams on Facebook, YouTube, or Twitch. You can also catch each conversation after the fact as a podcast by searching for Post-Orthodoxy wherever podcasts are found. If you take value from the work we are doing and the community we're building together, you can support the Outpost in the Borderlands for as little as $5 a month on our website, BetterTime. That's betterti.me. Visit the Sevier Studios page and subscribe. You can also support The Outpost by following and connecting with us on Facebook, YouTube, Twitch, Twitter, Instagram, and or Substack. Our post-Orthodoxy theme music was composed by Frank Pascal, and a special thanks goes to our voice actors, Amelia, Colin, Zbo, Rosie, Gabo, Vicky, Mokai, and Tony. Thanks for playing. <laughs> What's outside your reality bubble? I think I dribbled a bit, that last one.